Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Sarah McDooling and I'm very pleased and excited to be talking today with Katrina Nanestad about her new book, We Are Wolves. Hi, Katrina. Hi. Um, I haven't actually heard about the Wolf's Kinder before, which served as inspiration for your book. Um, so I thought we could begin if you could just tell us a little bit about how you came to to find out about them and what your research process was like for this book. Yes, well, I I hadn't heard of the Wolf's Kinder either until um, nearly two years ago. And I actually stumbled across this story by accident. I was searching online for another story that I'd heard about with a view that I might write a story around it and I, I couldn't find it. But in my process of searching, I came across just this little article about the Wolf's Kinder and I read it and I thought, wow, that's, that's fascinating. I'd never heard of them before and um, I read on. And I just got hooked. So, you know, I did a bit of a chase through a few articles, you know, like you do, you sort of start following links. And so the basic story is that um, at the end of World War II, East Prussia was invaded by the Red Army. And that area of Germany, East Prussia was an eastern province uh, of... East Prussia, sorry, was an eastern province of Germany. Hmm. When the Red Army came in, the population was really unprepared that they were told not to flee even though the war was obviously lost they were told to stand fast we're not losing the war everything's okay so when the Russians came in the population was forced to flee totally unprepared and so there was just this great exodus of people in the middle of a blizzard um, and so amidst the chaos and the violence so many people were killed but also tens of thousands of children were left lost or orphaned or all alone and those children went on, a number of them, to live alone without adults in that region for many years after the war. A number of them took shelter in the forests because they were trying to hide from the Russians because they weren't going to be treated well by them. And after the war, a number of those children went to Lithuania where there was a little bit more food around and where there was some support for them. And they became known, I think only in the 90s, 1990s, the name Wolfskinder was attached to these orphan children because of the fact that they'd been hiding in the forests and living in the forests. They were also in cities and towns and living off the land and that, but I think it was because a large number took refuge in the forests and probably travelled through forests to get to Lithuania. So they became known as the Wolfskinder. And so I read these, <laughs> I read these stories and I, I was putting in an idea for another story with my publisher. And I just made this offhanded mention, have you heard of the Wolfskinder? And just gave one or two lines about them and didn't think anything more of it. And then I heard back from my publisher and she said, yeah, that's great. We'd love to hear that story idea when you've fully developed it. <laughs> and I didn't story idea I just I just read these stories and I was absolutely blown away by two things by the fact that I'd never heard of them before and I figured if I'd never heard of them there must be other people who haven't heard of them but also I just I just couldn't get past the fact that these little children survived in conditions that robbed many adults of their lives that that was just such a mind-boggling thing to begin with and so when my publisher expressed interest in the story, I thought, oh, well, I'd better, I'd better start researching in earnest and develop a story <laughs> idea. 
And so I started looking um, and researching in earnest, but there wasn't a lot of information directly about the wolf's kinder. So there, I found bits and pieces here and there, but what had happened because a number of these children had gone to Lithuania, that area was then occupied by the Soviet rulers and they had forbidden the Lithuanians to help any Germans, even the tiny little German children. There was such a hatred there of German people. And so people who helped the little German orphan children were threatened with deportation to Siberia. And so when these families did take in these little children, either as farm labourers or adopted them as their own, they had to pretend they were Lithuanian. So these German children not only lost their families and their country, East Prussia disappeared, they also lost their identity because they had to forgo their German names, their German language, um, often get rid of things that identified them as German. So they lost everything. And it wasn't really until the 1990s when the Soviet Union had collapsed that these people who are now elderly were actually comfortable to talk about the fact that they were Germans. And so, of course, you can imagine a lot of those stories would have been lost by then. And so there are very, very few. There are very few out there. So I started by looking at all the stories, articles and uh, little interviews and things that I could get on the Wolf's Kinder, which was enough because it was so incredibly moving and I could patch enough pieces together to feel like I knew what sort of a story I wanted to write about them. And then I think in the process, it's really hard describing your process because often you describe <laughs> it in a limp way, but it's not like that at all when you write. It's sort of like loops and swirls and a jumble and something comes out at the end. Um, but somewhere amongst reading all those accounts of the Wolf's Kinder, I think my three little characters, Liesl, Lotto and Mia, started to take shape. And then I started to fill in the gaps. And so once I knew the basic stories that I could find around the Wolf's Kinder, I started to fill all the gaps in my knowledge about, well, what, what was East Prussia like at the end of the war? And what, what happened when the Russians came in? And, and what happened in the forests when children were in there? Or, or what was this exodus to Lithuania? All those things I started researching bit by bit. So my research really took these loops that kept coming back to the Wolf's Kinder, but were filling in the gaps all the way along. And by the time I'd um, done a number of side paths <laughs> researching <laughs> history. Um, I probably came up with a fairly clear idea of what I wanted my three main characters' journey to be. That sounds really garbled, doesn't it? Does that... No, not at all. I'm always fascinated to hear about, I think there's something magical that goes into making a book and hearing you describe it as a non-linear linear process full of swirls and turns around at the end, something comes out. That that checks out to me. I feel like there's magic involved there. Oh, um, there is. And I think, <laughs> I think sometimes I often, like, that's always a question you get when a new book comes out is what inspired you? Or And here it's easy to say what inspired me. I was just, just intrigued by this article and it was a bit of a, an accidental mention that led to the book. But the whole thing of what was your process you know, if you've got 100 words to describe what your book's about and what the process is, obviously you're going to <laughs> simplify it and record an interview or a presentation. You always feel like it's not really how it works. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's much more a coming to and fro and adding on pieces and building up your character and adding other things into your character as you go and, yeah. 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 I... 
have to say that uh, We Are Wolves is just hands down one of the most beautiful books I've read this whole year in this whole life, really. Like, it's, it really, it's going to stick with me, this book. Um, it has all of the emotions. It has, it's just a, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. The question I wanted to ask is actually my first book of yours that I've read, which I, I realise, um, having read it now, that that's a huge oversight that I intend to correct immediately. Um, but as always happens when I fall deeply for a book and um, realise that the author has a whole backlist of other books, I immediately zero in on the backlist. I'm like, right, what next? And at first glance, it seems as though We Are Wolves is something a little bit different to your the rest of your backlist. I don't know how true that is because I haven't read it, but I did want to ask you to just speak a little bit about what it's like, you know, if you agree and it is something different, then what it's like to kind of um, take that risk and do something different. Or conversely, if you feel like it's not that much of a departure, because often even when books look not the same, when they're written by the same person, they're made of the same stuff. So I guess I just wanted you to ask, you know, in what ways is this book similar or, or different from what you've written before? I think it is, I think it is very different to what I usually write. I usually write humour. I would say my... My thing is that I write humour and I, I, that might be wrapped in a diary or it might be an adventure or a mystery sort of book, but humour's always been my thing. I love to write humour and I love to read. I love to read humour. I love to watch comedy on TV. It's my favourite thing. <laughs> I, might, I read a range of things. So it really was quite a departure for me and I think I, think I had this this ongoing thing of that I, this ongoing struggle as I was writing the book, that I, I wanted it still to be engaging for children, of course, but I, I couldn't write it really in the way that I usually write books. Like it, there's still moments of humour and happiness and I hope those things lighten the story and I was very aware of putting those moments of sweetness and whimsy all through the story, but I couldn't do it in that more raw manner, I suppose, that I usually use to get those out loud laughs. It was more a lightening of the mood. So I had this ongoing battle in my mind as I was writing, okay, this is a really quite a serious story that's developing here, but I don't want it to be so weighed down that it's miserable for readers <laughs> to read. But also you can't make light of it. You can't be disrespectful to the people who've actually lived through these events by making light of those things, of course. Yeah. So I, I did find I did find I took a bit of time to really get into my groove and feel like I'd worked out how to how to strike that balance. Is um, it so scary yeah. writing something so different? Yes, yes it is. And I have a couple of writing friends who knew that I was writing this book and, and they will tell you that I was probably terrified at times <laughs> writing it. And, you know, every time I set out on a book, I go, you know, whether it's something in the same, like usually I'd write comedy, I start the book and I think, I, I can't do this. I don't, how did I write that last book? Like there's something, there's such, for me, there's such a, struggle at the start to get going with a book. I plan and I know who my characters are and I know what the plot's going to be and I do a lot of that sort of pre-planning and daydreaming. But I start writing and every time I think, oh, 
this is the one that I can't get out. This is it. I've used up all my words for my life. And that's, <laughs> this is it. My writing's come to an end. But something happens along the way. But here, as well as that usual struggle I had with feeling like I got into the groove of my book, I had that extra battle in that it was a new sort of thing for me to write. And I, and I, I always have, obviously, my audience at the front of my mind. And you can say, well, adults might enjoy this and cope with this, but children are my audience. And, and I can have all these adults say, this is a lovely book, but if it doesn't hit the mark with children, I don't feel like I've done my job, obviously. There's layers to it um, because yeah. I feel that I'm, I'm not a child, but I feel that your children characters, um, they ring really true. It's not like when sometimes, particularly when the subject matter is quite serious, and the main character is a child, um, they often just seem impossibly wise for their years. Or um, these, these to me, re read like really accessible children characters who um, young readers will like uh, relate to and um, empathise with. So I guess my question is, as an author writing through the eyes of a child with children in mind as your audience um, and dealing with these serious subject matters. Um, I, I, you've mentioned that it was hard to balance. How much, how do you do it? Like, did, do you have to keep pulling yourself up and like, did you make it too, too scary at any point and dial it back or something like that? Yes, I think, I think there were times that I, that I did nothing really over the mark, I don't think, because I was constantly aware of who my audience would be probably from 10 years old and up. And so I was constantly aware of that. But there were a few times even where just tweaking a few words, tones things down in a story. Um, but having telling the story from Liesl's point of view, Liesl's the 11-year-old girl at the centre of the story. So I've got a Liesl who's 11 years old and her brother Otto who's seven and Mia who's one and a half. So Liesl tells the story. It's first person narration as things are happening. And that was a really good, that was a really good tool for me writing because I could limit everything that happened to what Liesl could see. So even though I'd done all this research and had all this knowledge about these hideous things, that went on at this time of history, I could say, okay, well, if Liesl's here, she's got like blinkers on, she can only see what's happening around her and in front of her. So if she's protected by her mother in this situation, she can't see what her mother's not letting her see. Or if she's in a barn and something's happening outside that sounds hideous, she, she might know what it is. So you might know something's going on, but you can't see it because she can't see it. And that's a really that's a really good tool, I think, in writing for children because it reigns in the breadth of the experiences that you need to deal yeah. with, and also you to take your character out of the path of things that you don't think are appropriate for children to be reading about. Does does that make sense? It does. And there were a few times in the book. I love these three kids so much. I feel like I just I just want to adopt them. Um, but they, there are a few times in the book where Liesl, being the eldest, um, worries or wonders how much of certain things Otto is understanding because he's a bit younger, mm -hmm. which I thought was just such a great way to 
approach the fact that maybe some of their kids reading don't understand it and so they'll it's like yeah. it's a way a way to just flag that you know maybe this is not for kids to understand but it's just a, a glimmering of understanding for them um whereas older readers might take that extra step and and understand fully yeah. what's going on but um are there are so many moments in this book where i was blinking away tears but there was one when i i literally had to stop reading because i was i was just bawling I won't share obviously any of the circumstances that of the part that made me cry because spoilers. Um, but if you're comfortable, I will just share this one line of dialogue so you'll know, and anyone who's read the book will know the part that I'm talking about. And uh, the line is "Love is free; it never needs payment." Something yeah. about that line, I just it just absolutely destroyed me. And to me, that line strikes to the heart of the book. Um, but with a book like this, which is so emotionally rich, it's really a book with many hearts and um, you tackle so many important topics, like off the top of my head, um, you've got the complicated nature of war and morality versus survival and the importance of love and family and kindness. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much in there. So I guess what to your mind is the most important message that you hope young readers take away from the book that was a really long question i'm sorry <laughs> yeah it's really uh, that's that's a really big question and that's also another question that's been thrown at me a few times lately so i've had time to think about that if i had to narrow it down to one big message it would be the power of love and i think i think um, and that, that actually is one of the things that enabled me to write the story, coming back to that question about how do you write about such a big, serious issue but make it accessible to children? And one of the things that I came to learn through the process was that you can deal with really big issues. And I've done this before in other books even where, where there's been maybe the death of a parent or some sad event. Mm. Um, but you can deal with these issues, but your focus needs to be ultimately on something really positive something uplifting because I think children need I think children need their stories to to be satisfying and uplifting and leave them with a sense of hope I, I think as adults we can cope if a story doesn't end that way but I think children really need to come out of reading a book with a sense of hope and so for me the core thing was to focus on the love in the story and the big elements of that love are the fierce, fierce love Liesl has for her siblings. Yeah. You know, she changes in ways that are beyond her control, but she also, she also has this fierce love where she stands up to keep those siblings together and to keep, keep them alive. So that's really core to the story. But also I've tried to show all these episodes of love in unexpected places like love from people they perhaps thought were their enemy or love people who had nothing to give but still gave that sort of thing and so love really lies at the core of the story and I think that's one thing that enabled me to keep writing and feel like it was going to be accessible and um, appropriate for children to read. I think that 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 message just shines through in this book and I mean if there's anyone listening you know looking for books for young readers and I think I don't know I don't know how true this is but seeing being the kids 
category manager at Booktopia, you see a lot of books come through. And um, some, particularly those dealing with uh, war, particularly historically, um, you often think it's just going to be really grim, right? Like maybe yeah. just, just a bit too grim. And if anyone's listening out there or may perhaps put this podcast on to know whether or not this might be a bit heavy for their kid or not, I just want to really, really urge you to um, understand that this is a book about hope and love and that while it while it goes to some, you know, scary places, it does, you do so really carefully. I think young readers are really, really safe with this book and, um, and will come out of it feeling, you know, that they've read a really... In, intense story because it's non-stop like this is a story of survival um there's a lot of uh tension and a lot of suspense um as you see how these kids will survive so you know a kid is going to come away from it i think before first and foremost feeling that they've read an adventure story but along woven through it are just these gorgeous gorgeous lessons and um and so, again, I'll tread carefully to avoid spoilers. Um, <laughs> but I do want to discuss the ending without detail, like um, yep. more in terms of, you know, the tone of the ending. Um, and I wanted to know, because I do feel this story could have gone so many ways. Um, and <laughs> and I, It could have gone so many ways, <laughs> I know, because I had so many ways in my head. I, had it, I actually had it planned to end differently. Oh, that was my um, question. Yeah. Oh, was it? Sorry, I I'll jump in the back. No, no, that, by all means, I wanted to know if you, if you had a few alternate endings. Yeah, so I, I, I wanted it to end, I was planning on a different ending and I felt like I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do that without leaving the story in a place that I didn't think was right for children to, to read. Not, not in a violent place, but I felt like the story had to end on a sense of hope. You know, not everything's not wrapped up, but I felt like this, the ending I had chosen was, I, I cried all the way through writing this, and I, but I particularly oh. cried at a few points at the end, but I thought if I write this ending, I'm gonna be an absolute blithering mess. So what, what would that do to my readers? <laughs> And I just couldn't do, I couldn't do that. Um, I'm so glad. Yeah, it's, sorry, it's really hard to talk about that without giving away <laughs> what happens at the end. So that's probably a bit of a generic bit there, isn't it? Yeah. We have to, I guess um, we have to keep it. But I think, I think, I think it's okay to talk about the tone of the ending without giving away too many details. Because yeah. there's, yeah. there's a lot of loss and heartache in, in the book. But the final emotional note that it ends on is one of hope and um, love, which I don't know, I just, I think that's really important. I do, I mean, I do perhaps after the podcast want you to tell me all the other endings that you had in mind. (laughs) 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 So... I, I, I wanted to ask a more a general, you've spoken a bit about your writing process, um, but uh, so I guess we'll, we'll retread a bit, but I just wanted to know more fully your process. Um, like, do you have any idiosyncratic writing habits? Do you, is there a time of day or a place that you prefer to write in and you're a planner writer or a discovery writer, like details like that? 
Yeah, well, I am very much a, a planning writer. And I think that probably partly comes from the, uh, that's a habit I've formed because often I will pitch an idea to my publisher that might be for a series. So I really have to plan that carefully and know my characters well before I start writing because they need to understand what it's about. But I need to understand that I can write a full book or a, or a full <laughs> series about something before I get the contract, you know. So I'm very much a planner. But I do deviate from my plans. I, it was interesting. I was looking at my synopsis for Werewolves a few weeks back. I can't remember why, whether I was just sorting through some notes, trying to tidy up. And I had a bit of a giggle because I thought, that's nothing like the story. Well, it was sort of basically <laughs> the story I'd written. But I had all these episodes that at the time when I'd done my research, I must have thought, oh, that's brilliant. That'll make a great episode. But once I started writing, it just, you know, it just didn't fit in or it wasn't appropriate <laughs> So I am a planner, but there is that that sense in my writing that once the story really gets going and your characters start almost walking along on their own, that you take unexpected turns in your story. Um, sometimes it's a, sometimes it's just a story crafting choice because what you've planned just isn't going to fit in or work or be age appropriate or for some reason it's not going to work. But other times there are just little bits build up that you think, oh, this is working. Oh, then this might lead to this. And so you just sort of run with that. You, you run with yeah. that and enjoy it. It's almost like your characters say, look, this, this is what I'm going to do next. You run along with your notebook afterwards and, and write <laughs> down what So I, I really, really love when a book gets to that stage. That's, that is that magical part of writing. And I hesitate to say that because I think sometimes people think that means it strikes and you just go for it. It's not, it's not like that at all. No, um, magic isn't easy. If magic were easy, we'd all do it. <laughs> no, and I suppose that's, that's where we come back to. I think you asked about my routine. Mm. I'm a very, very organised, methodical worker. So I have a, have a um, five-day-a-week routine when I'm writing a book. So I make sure I start work by 10 o'clock. I come into my study, which, which you've seen through the Zoom thing, um, <laughs> I sit down at my desk. My desk is definitely my trigger that I'm at work. It's time to work. And I will work usually for about six hours of a day, five days a week on, on a book. So, and I, I need, I think I need that structure mm. to work well. I think if I gave myself too much freedom, I'd be, you know, I don't know, down at the snooker halls, you know, drinking pints of beer. <laughs> No, not doing that. But you know, I'd give myself an inch, I'd take a mile, sort of thing. <laughs> so I need to be structured. Yeah. Um, and I think too, you know, we were talking before about struggling with the start of stories. Even if I'm struggling, I sit down and make myself work. It's not like you can go, oh, that you know, the inspiration hasn't struck today. I'm not going to work. It doesn't work like that. Inspiration comes after you've been working, or for me, after I've been working for a long, long time on a book. And that's when that thing starts to happen where you slip into the groove and you know your characters so well and you know where they're going and that's when they start running along ahead of you and you're chasing after them. But that <laughs> might be, you know... 40,000 words into a 60,000 word book that I get to that thing where I feel, oh, now it's getting easier, you know. <laughs> Got to put in some hard work to get to that stage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how long does it normally take you, That how long did it take you to write We Are Wolves? Uh, it probably took me a few months to research 
And although when I say that, that research probably overlapped with the writing because I'd come back to things that I felt like I had gaps in my knowledge that I didn't want to write something inaccurate in the story mm. that I probably looked at another area or I found myself going in a different direction I hadn't planned, so I had to look a little bit more into something. But I think the writing probably usually for a book that length takes me about six months. Right. Um, and that's pretty solid writing, although that, that six months might include like five months, put it aside for a month and then come back for a final look through. But I, I write very carefully as I go along and I can't keep writing unless I'm happy with how things are up to that point. So usually by the time I get to the end of my first writing, right through to the end, I don't change a great deal. I know different writers have different strategies where someone might write really quickly for the first draft and then the second draft might be enormously different. Mm. For me, I do that, that tweaking and changing all the way along so that by the time I get to the end, it's usually fairly similar to how it will be when I hand it into my publisher. And, and just because this was quite a different uh, type of book, for you, would you say it changed your process in any way or did the process sort of stay the same regardless what you're writing? I think the process is the same, except that I would have done a lot more research. For instance, with my, my last series of books, The Girl, The Dog and The Writer, it was set in a different city each time. So I did start by doing a little bit of researching about, you know, if it was Rome, you know, I'd go back over my old holiday photos and I'd look at travel blogs, but it was really light research. You know, <laughs> I might eat it for a bit of you know immersing myself a bit of <laughs> a bit of pizza or something to feel like I was immersing myself in that sort of culture and story <laughs> but um yeah otherwise I think the process was pretty much the same for me I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to reading that series of yours that's the one <laughs> that's going to pick us up it's um, very different wolves it's a lot lighter than all my other books are much lighter than than this one I, I've, I mean, many of my favourite authors don't hop around a bit in terms of what, what they write and I just feel even in all those cases you can still, the, the heart is the same, like you're doing something different but I think a writer's, you know, style or the things that are important to you, it goes into it whether you're trying to make someone laugh or whether you're trying to uh, make someone think deeply about war um i think you know you're doing different things but it's the same person pulling the strings so i really look forward to reading those ones oh thank you and uh on on the subject of of other books are you allowed to talk about what's up next for you or what you might be working on at the moment uh i can talk generically about what's up next i'm always a little bit um hesitant to talk about definites because you never know whether yeah. things will end up not turning out the way you intended. But I am working on another historical novel and I'm finding it really, really hard again. <laughs> I sort oh, of yeah. thought, oh, I'll be fine now. I managed with werewolves. But as I started again, I thought, oh, no, I remember. I remember how hard this is and the, <laughs> all the difficult choices with what you share and what you don't share and how to make it accessible for children. So I am working on, on another historical novel set during World War II, but from a different point of view. Um, and I'm also still writing lighter, you know, more, more humorous sort of book too. So I've, I'm actually 
three books along from when I wrote We Are Wolves. So I'm always worried someone will ask me a question about one of the characters and I'll go, I don't even remember that character. <laughs> I'm living three stories on from that now. So just to be really honest about that, I've stuck a list of my characters up on my computer screen here so that if you ask, I'll go, which, which one's that? <laughs> It's terrible, isn't it? I've got too much in my head sometimes. But definitely more more light, humorous writing too. And um, the plan is for there to be a, a, some books for some younger readers, seven to 10 year olds that are a bit lighter, sort of adventure, fun sort of things, which I've just written the first one of those. I, I'm, I've just sent it in. So I, I haven't had a response from my publisher as to whether I've hit the mark or not. But it's... Um, it was so lovely to write that. <laughs> it was just so nice to go back to that complete fantasy world where I could make up whatever I wanted and I didn't have to worry that anything was getting too grim or, you know, it was, <laughs> it was really lovely to get back into that comedy zone. It was, yeah, that really, really be, fun. That's an interesting point, though. I guess it would be a, difficult to go from being kind of totally in control of the world that you're writing and then writing something that's real and, and concerns of historical accuracy and stuff. Um, did you worry about that a lot, that someone was going to point out a mistake or an error? Well, not, not when I was writing it because I was, I was fairly careful with researching anything that I mentioned if I felt unsure of, like I'd read books and account, like history books and I had... Um, you know, the internet's fabulous. If you've got a gap in your knowledge, you can usually search there and find something or a book to connect to that fills in the gaps. Um, but now when interviews are coming up, I'm thinking, you know, it's a while since I've done my research. I think, oh, have I got that right? And so I start looking over things and I have got things right. It's just that, I think that anxiety when a book's about to come out, when you've put so much work into it and you just want mm. people to just take it, for what you're planning it to be a beautiful story but of course with the historical things you want to have them right too um so yeah i wasn't nervous when i was writing it but now i'm nervous because it's about to come out there's all <laughs> pre-launches <laughs> i think everyone i've spoken to who's who's read the book is so deeply in love with it as am i i think you you don't have much to worry about there um and because as well it's a story about children who are sort of deeply affected by events, but they aren't, you know, directly involved in historical events. I think you don't really need to worry about anyone. No, no, that's Let's right. And, I, <laughs> yeah. and you think too, if someone's, you know, if, if you've written this book with all intention of, of being historically accurate and some history buff comes and says, well, look, that town wasn't called that at that time. You think, really, if that's what you're going to pinpoint, yeah. <laughs> maybe you're missing the point of the book anyway. So that, I try to look. look was. <laughs> that reader was, was never going to be happy. <laughs> I, know, I've, I know I've talked to um, journalists who you know, like all journalists who've just written beautiful, you know, had weekly columns and written beautiful articles about the community and really soulful articles. And they'll say, you write all these lovely articles and people will say how lovely, but there'll always be that person who their comment to you will be, you've left the full, full stop out there or you, yeah. <laughs> you didn't use that word 
directly think you've got 20 years of beautiful writing you've contributed to the community newspaper and someone points out a full stop or a <laughs> I think there are just some people out there where that's how they find joy is picking yeah. errors and so when you encounter one you just have to think well I hope hope you got what you needed out of that yeah well we're just about out of time but I wanted to just take this last little final moment to really just thank you for We Are Walls because it's stunning and um, I can't wait for this to go out in the world and, and start seeing the response from children because I just, I feel like they're going to love this. Um, so thank you so much for coming in and speaking to us today, Katrina. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And um, yeah, thanks for allowing me to share some bits about the writing and about. The oh, it's been wonderful. Um, and podcast listeners, you can get your copy of We Are Walls by Katrina Nanasad, as well as any other of Katrina Nanasad's backlist books at your local bookstore or online at Bookstore. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces, and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast, and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au.